Welcome to the Thrifty Business Podcast, where we talk with thrift retailers from across the country about the challenges of running their business and how they succeed. I'm your host, Kyle Payton. Today, we have TJ Bandera with Wake County, and we're happy to have him here. TJ, thanks for, uh, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're in charge of the restores. So really just kind of give us the listeners here a rundown. What is Wake County all about? What are the restores? A lot of people don't know. So just kind of educate us on really habitat in general, how restores fall into that and how it kind of fits into the thrift world. Got it. So that's a lot of questions, but uh, uh, basically restores uh, affiliates. Uh, We have Habitat for Humanity International, which is kind of like the parent organization. Inside of that, we have affiliates. There's probably about 900 of them around the country, and there's about 50 around the world. And in essence, I always like to describe it like a franchise. So it's county-based. So it's not city or state, but it's based on the county that you live in. So here in the Raleigh-Durham area, we actually have three affiliates. The Wake County affiliate, which is basically Raleigh. We have a Durham County affiliate, which serves Durham County. And then Orange County, which is like Chapel Hill area. The three cities together are called... down here, we call it the triangle. So we have the three affiliates and over the years, each affiliate has their own restores that they can set up. So there's the, in in Habitat, obviously the whole mission is to build houses for people and provide affordable housing for people. The restore is a fundraiser. That is all that the restore is. And so over the years, when they first started Habitat, they were trying to figure out ways to raise more funds to build more houses. And the restore concept got born because people were donating a lot of items. And we suddenly were like, if you open a store and start selling these items, we can make more money to build more houses. Our affiliate in Wake County was opened in, I think, 1995 is when it was founded. And for a long time, it had one restore based in the city of Raleigh. Wake County is a very large county with a lot of different cities. And over probably starting in, I think it was 2013, Wake County opened a second restore in a town called Cary. And then over the next number of years, it's almost like every year, another store was opening. And when I started with the organization in 2016 range, 2017, we had six restores just based in Wake County. So then Durham County, Durham and Orange kind of like worked together and they had one restore in the city of Durham. And so our whole area had seven stores. The three affiliates got together and said, you know, we want to be more efficient in how we manage our stores. So an agreement was reached that Wake County would take over management of the store in Durham. And so we became seven stores. And at the same time, there's a county next to Wake called Johnson County, and they didn't really have any house building. There wasn't any restores. There wasn't any organization. So Wake simultaneously took over Johnson County and became a two-county affiliate. So we're now the habitat of Wake and Johnson counties. And we opened a store in a city in Johnson County called Clayton. So we had a ton of stores on this one side of town, but only this one store in Durham. So we opened two more stores, more on the Durham side, and then we actually opened one store in Orange County in Hillsboro. So now, totally, we have 10 stores that we manage. It's managed through one central group. We have a VP of Restores, Emily George. She's my boss. We have one director, Jason Nessler, and then I am, my title is the Restore Operations Manager. 
it's pretty much encompasses almost everything if you can operationally mind yeah, more, it more like Every, a jack of all trades let's just call it what it, it is is it's everything from building security all the way through to thrift card and to managing mm-hmm. our computer systems and how we do pricing in our stores sales analysis you know all that kind of fun stuff so for the purposes of this podcast like in terms of like a big portion of my job then is to really look at our business model. And then, you know, obviously our goal is to keep increasing sales, keep, you know, figuring out new ways to have either cost savings on this side and the spending side, or how are we going to raise more net sales inside of our stores? So for those in the audience that don't really understand how the restore works, everything that we sell is basically donations. So the general public will donate to us household goods, furniture, tools, and hardware. There's a lot, it's almost sometimes easier to describe the list of things we don't sell and there's that, that you guys don't take. Now, one thing I think listeners are going to want to know is, do you guys also buy product? Because I know Habitat being a nonprofit, I know Wake County's, I mean, you guys do things a little differently. Is there a percentage of product that you do buy? Are there certain categories that you buy? I mean, is that and really, what's the reasoning for that? So the answer is yes, we do purchase some items, the items that we purchase from that perspective, we try to buy items that don't generally get donated to us. For example, we sell waterproof laminate flooring. Typically, people don't donate. If they donate one, they'll donate like a box. Well, a box is going to have, you know, 20, 30 square feet in it. That's not enough to do a project in your house. So we want to be able to have our customers have the option to buy, you know, two, three, you know, I've had customers buy, you know, two or 3,000 square feet of flooring all at once. We also sell brand new area rugs because a lot of the rugs that come in have, you know, because all of our items are used and, you know, the, you know, you get the uh, pet stains, I'll call it like that, uh, different smells or whatever. So brand new area rugs are actually a decent seller for us. And then now every Habitat affiliate and Restore has different philosophies. We're more of a conservative affiliate and there are some tax laws and it's kind of very technical. But we can't have too much of our net sales come from purchased product because we are a 501c3 and we're not paying taxes on the money that we're making. So we have to be careful that we're not going over that limit and potentially getting ourselves in Yeah, there's like a threshold that you guys have to stay in within, right? Gotcha. I wanted to back up just a second because I, and I didn't know this either. So if I were to ask you, hey, TJ, so of a restores business and revenues, obviously that goes towards the affiliate, but of what the affiliate you know, collects in terms of revenue, what would you say is the proportion that comes through restores? Like how important are restores to the overall mission, you know, to the overall affiliate? That's a great question. You know, when I was talking earlier about the restore being a fundraiser, 100% of the profits that come out of our stores is given back to the affiliate to build houses. So this is a true nonprofit type of, you know, retail business. So this year we have 10 stores and that's a lot. We're the biggest restore chain in the United States in terms of number of stores, but we service our money is given to all three counties to help build houses. So we just more look at it as total number of houses. This year we were budgeted to give money back to build four. 14 houses in our area in Raleigh and Durham, it cost us $170,000 to build a house now. Five, six years ago, it was 90,000. So it just in five years has really gone way up. So this year, our net revenue that we're going to give back to the affiliate to the 
three affiliates, I would do 14 ounces, but we're having such a good sales year that our reprojections that we just did here at the beginning of January says that we're going to probably, we're going to do at least 18. We're going to fund at least 18 houses. And one of those houses is going to be funded strictly from roundup money that happens at the register. So during a register transaction, your total comes to $10.52. We ask the customer, would you like to round up to $11 and donate the change to us? And given with our 10 stores, we're on track to raise about $200,000 this year just from asking for some extra donations at the that's, register. That's absolutely amazing. I am so glad you quantified that because that was always something, uh, being a feature of Thriftcart, you know, the roundup donation. I was yeah. always wondering, like, how much of that did you guys actually get in a year? And to know that the roundup donation is actually paying for someone's house. I mean, that's awesome. That's remarkable. And just, you know, as a side note for us, our employees and staff, I mean, this is the best group of people I have ever worked with in my entire career, but they're so passionate about it. And our CEO, we had a meeting this week with all the store managers and the assistant managers and the CEO came in and this one house that we're funding, we're going to brand it the Restore House. The staff from the stores are going to go help build the house. And then when the family moves in, we dedicate every house and we're going to go and be able to dedicate it. And that really helps us connect to the mission because when you're in the store, you're selling items and you can forget that, hey, the reason why I'm doing this is we're trying to raise money to build houses. So we really try to bring that focus back to our employees. That's our reason for existence. I mean, that's amazing. And I love the tie-in with the restore and how that directly goes back to the county, back to people, back to the overall Habitat mission. I wanted to go back to something you said. You mentioned that the restores in the Triangle area were having a great year. I know for a lot of other businesses, it's been pretty trying. It's been a, a difficult, you know, past couple months, past year. What is Wake doing differently that has helped you guys kind of weather the storm? You know, there's obviously inflation, there's a downturn in the economy. What have you guys seen and what are you guys doing differently to help kind of offset that? So when I first started in this business, and in general, I, I visit restores when I travel, I think the mentality is you get these items in, you price them, you know, you, you probably have a range of how you price stuff, but it's basically get the amount of money you can get for it, move on. Because in our area, the general public is very generous. They donate a lot of items to us. We took a different approach, not to be too complicated, but we had 10 stores and over the years, like different stores were doing things different. We didn't have any standardization. Different stores are pricing different ways. We had four different register interfaces through Thriftcart that we were using because different stores wanted things different way. And we took a step back and said, okay, like what is important to how we're going to make our sales? Because not everything that comes in while we can sell it, there are certain things that have more value or can really contribute to the net sales at the end of the day. So we came up with six categories that we call our revenue drivers. And the biggest category of item that we sell in our stores is furniture. And a lot of our stores, it's, you know, could be 40 to 50% of the total sales just oh, come wow. from furniture. So this took us a couple of years to do. So the first step that we did was we said, we have to standardize how everybody is pricing. And Thriftcart provides us to be able to create a barcode, so like a pricing barcodes for all of our items. So when it goes to the register, it can be scanned. So inside of that, if originally, like we would have categories like furniture and then everything that went into that one just category. So that yeah, I just fell yeah. in that category. So we went back and actually decided to do some, a lot of subcategories. So we have, you know, 
in furniture alone, I have 39 different types of items. So coffee tables, I separate sofas versus love seats versus an upholstered chair versus a recliner, dining room tables with chairs, without chairs, et cetera. So all we had the stores do is just price in these categories. And then the next phase of that was also to look at our register interface and get everybody pricing the same way and then selling the same way. Because before that we had really bad sales data and it was literally all over the place and you couldn't make sense of it. So once we got everybody on the same process and pricing and selling the same way, then we could go back after you know three to six months and actually start to look at data that actually made sense to us. So we realized that, you know, when you get, you're going to get a million wine glasses and plates and dishes and doorknobs and whatever. And we're telling stores like that stuff's important. It matters, but we're just going to make these items standard price. So the advice I would give to people is focus really pricing and understanding the value of the items that you have to price. But like, you know, I've been in enough restores where people look at a dinner plate and should I put a dollar on it or $2 or three, you know, and they're trying to make this decision. We're all like, every plate's a dollar. It's great. You know, let's move on. And so we took a look at all of our different categories of furniture and then thrift cart. The nice thing, we have a colored discount policy. So I'm maybe skipping a little bit, but when we price an item in our store, every two weeks, that item reduces in price by 20%. And it happens on the same day every month. So our customers know like on the first day of the month and then on the 15th day of the month, everything in the store goes down by another 20%. So it's full price, then 20% off, 40% off, 60% All all the way down to, when you get all the way down to the bottom, what do you guys do? Do you like donate it? Do you scrap it? Is it just kind of like a fire sale? The answer is, you know, the secondary mission statement Habitat that people always don't realize is that part of our mission is also to reduce the amount of things that go to the landfill. So we take that very seriously. So we try to make throwing something away like the last thing that we do. So after 60% off, if something doesn't sell, most stores will do what they call a markdown. You can call it purging. Maybe you'll put the item out for free. So you might take the sofa you had put hundred dollars on it. It went down to $40. Maybe you'll put $20 on it or even $10. Try to get something for it. So at least it doesn't get thrown away. And then if it doesn't sell after two more weeks at five or 10 or $20, put a free sign on it. At least somebody can get some use out of it. And then if it doesn't, if it's the items, you know, just not something that somebody wants, then at that point we would throw it away. But we really try to make that the last step. You know, we never want to discourage someone from donating to us. But there are items that we can't take for, you know, it might be too stained or the cat, you know, clawed at it and it's all kind of shredded. <laughs> right. You know, like no, the, no the, one's the, gonna the, buy that. Right. Right. So we, but we try to, you know, we never want to discourage people from donating because we're getting all of these items for free. It's tax deductible. We can, we give a receipt to the customers so they can do whatever with their taxes. And we have kind of like the 80, 20 rule sometimes too. Like if they come up with a carload or a U-Haul full of stuff and 80% of it's good, we'll take the 20% that maybe we can't sell because we want to encourage them to come back again. And we also offer free donation pickups as well. So if somebody can't get a large item to us, we will go out and pick up that item and for actually, free. And actually pick that up for them and take that burden off of them. Wow. Now that's a- It is a good, in this business model, it is, even though there's a cost for a procurement team, we have seven trucks with probably 20 guys on staff that are on our donation ambassadors is what how we term them. That cost though, is it's worth it to have that cost because we're making so much money off the items that we can pick up because a lot of people don't have 
a good way to get a those good way to, to get it there. I was yeah. going to ask you, what would you say is your ratio of your overall donations that you guys get? How much of it is picked up versus dropped off? I would say probably 60% is dropped off and okay. maybe 40% is picked up. It's kind of hard because a lot of the carloads that come in, you know, it's boxes of home goods, but right, you know, people right. do have, you know, they have their pickup truck, a trailer, you know, they rent a U-Haul, they're moving. It's so funny. I was a restore manager for a number of years. I uh, managed two of our stores in this area. I actually opened one from like, it was a brand new store. And, you know, in talking with customers, you just get to, you know, kind of part of the reason why I would ask questions, I'm just trying to learn and understand why people donate or, or, you know, what is the reasoning? In some cases, it's somebody moving to the area and they're downsizing. They'll get a right. lot of downsizing. I was in a four bedroom house. Now I'm in a two bedroom, you know, yeah, so I got I have too much stuff. Like I got to get rid of some things. And then of course, when, you know, the kids, you know, the parents pass away and they have the house full of stuff, they don't know what to do is take whatever they want. And then there's the rest of the house. And so a lot of times, you know, when you Google search in our area, places to donate, we have done one of those things where we pop up at the top of the list of the okay. Google searches. Yeah, some so search optimization. All right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that we can make sure that, you know, we're the first, you know, that somebody sees us first. Today's episode is sponsored by Thriftcart Software. Thriftcart was built specifically for thrift and reuse stores. Thriftcart helps manage all the pieces of their business. It's great for managing the donation process, tracking inventory, or taking Roundup donations at checkout. Thriftcart also has integrations for communicating with customers, so you can keep them in the loop and coming back to your store. Thriftcart does all this and more. For listeners of this podcast, Thriftcart is offering 50% off your startup costs. Click the link in the description or call 385-217-3698 to schedule a demo and redeem this offer. And now, back to the show. So let me ask you, so with donations, so within Thriftcart, obviously Thriftcart can handle the scheduling of that. So how do you guys, is someone on the dock at all of these stores all the time to handle donations? Do you guys have a kiosk? Because, you know, within Thriftcart, you can set that up. But how do you guys handle the drop-offs there within Thriftcart? So the drop-offs are, you know, there, we do have a, you know, a person every day assigned to the, you know, we call it the warehouse door, the dock door, whatever you want to term it. And they can, you know, right there is where our pricing stations are at. So okay. as the items come in, you're generating the donation receipt and you're, you know, pricing, you know, kind of processing and then pricing right there. Now on the scheduling side, because we're so large in a lot of smaller habitats, they kind of handle the scheduling in the store. Now we have four counties that we're picking up donations in. And so we have two donation schedulers. We, so people can don't go to our website and they can schedule an online pickup. And that's usually what we try to encourage people to do. But um, if they want to talk to someone because they're not sure if we'll take the item or there's some other different, you know, issues with like the driveway. Right. Or, yeah. They just want to yeah talk to someone live just to understand and make sure. Okay. And then all that's happened. And then all, and so all of those pickups are scheduled through Thriftcart. And then there's, you know, there's ways inside of there to look at like heat mapping and kind of understanding where your donations are coming from and like how, where they're concentrated at is actually a good way to understand where to open a restore. Because I, I, I was going <laughs> to ask that. Have you noticed like certain parts of your geographical area? Like, do you get certain kinds of donations from certain parts? And I was, I always wonder, is there seasonality to donations? Have you noticed that? 
it is so I laugh every year at Christmas time because you know what the hot item was that people got for Christmas because they're donating the old like for the example a couple years from the prior year. the old one yeah so like for example a couple of years ago I was managing our, one of our stores and we got in like seventy five kids bikes and I was like I said well I guess all the kids got new bikes this year for Christmas. Yep, and then a different year, like we got a ton of TVs, like flat screen TVs, but like the older models. So, you know, when you go in a restore, you always are like one cycle behind, especially right. technology yep. wise of, of like what, what is going on in, in, in that. So, but yeah, it is seasonal. It's funny how people will donate a lot of patio furniture in the wintertime, but it doesn't sell very well in the wintertime because... Right. So that leads to a question. So, I mean, knowing that they're going to donate it in the winter, because obviously they're going to go to, you know, Ikea or Home Depot or wherever and buy something new in the spring. My immediately, I would make me think, what about inventory and space? I mean, you know, that can sell. Do you guys have really the capacity just to hold on to those things? Are those donations Mm -hmm. you turn away? No, we don't turn them away. But we do know that we're going to have to slightly. So when I ran my stores in the wintertime, I would tell my staff during these months, usually, you know, December through the end of February, because down in Raleigh, March, you know, really starts to get warm again, price 20% less than what you would normally price, you know, just okay. to kind of move the movement. But then as soon as Mark, literally, I would have a calendar reminder myself that like on March 1st, we're going to re-raise those prices again, a little bit higher. Most of our stores, we have a store that's like 8,000 square feet. Most of our stores are somewhere in the 12 to 15,000 square foot range. And most of them don't really uh, apply too much of the square footage to the back room. So pretty much it's mostly sales floor and maybe a little bit office space. So yeah, once you get something in, most stores don't have the luxury, unfortunately. Now, recently we have an acquisition specialist. So, you know, businesses... You know, there's a lot of times businesses will donate brand new stuff. They're trying to clear out their warehouse. They're, you know, there's a Lowe's and Home Depot and some of the furniture companies, appliance companies. Well, sometimes donate new stuff to us. And recently we got two truckloads of brand new patio furniture, but it happened in the early January. And we're like, you know what? This stuff is so valuable. We want to really maximize our, what our sales are going to be. So we, we had a couple storage containers at one of the stores. We cleared them all out through the patio furniture in, and we're going to now pull that back out at the beginning of March. March and actually start to sell it because we know we can get the more value for it at that point. You can get that. And you know that through, you know, your historical sales data. Yes, you know exactly. Just, obviously with running that many stores. So the nice thing about how we've gotten with Thriftcard is the first and foremost, you guys are great partners with us. And I really appreciate all the support. We have asked for specialized reporting that we're kind of using for how we want to see our business. And so, you know, some of the normal sales reports, we've actually kind of gone in and said, like, we want to see our data this way in this kind of report versus like having to run 10 different reports to try to get the data that you need because it's all in one place. Well, let's let's touch on that because the kind of the joke is here. I mean, you know, it's Wake County that that needs the new report. You know, that's kind of the joke. Yeah. You're like, oh, hey, we got to get with Michael. Like, we got to do some dev work. Let's create a new yep. report. But I want to touch on that because I think Wake is great proving ground for looking at thrift and looking at retail differently. So what are some of the like reporting or metrics that you guys are looking at that have really been a catalyst and a driver, you know, for your business that has led to that success you alluded to earlier? So first and foremost, we um, identified what our revenue drivers were going to be for this year. And given that furniture is our number one category, of course, we're going to spend the majority of our focus on that particular piece. When I mentioned earlier the discount policy, the thing that I like about Thriftcart is when something sells, 
the system also knows what percentage discount it's sold at. So I actually use the metrics in two ways. So when you go in the back room and price, the system, if you click on a sofa, it'll give you pricing options, like a range, you know, and originally there was three options. And once I started getting good sales data, I started running reports to see like what we were pricing at. And to a fault on every single subcategory, the employee was picking the middle button on average. So what I realized was they weren't really looking at the item and like trying to understand what the value of it was. They were literally like, so if I gave them like 95, 125 and 175 as a price, they're doing average price that we were 125. I mean, and it was like that for every single category. So we spent a lot of time with training and helping people understand. And I actually expanded that. So there's now like six options, five to six options, depending on the item, because I want to give them a better range of understanding, like what the item is. is quality built into that as well. You know, because when you say, when you mentioned like, okay, there's love seat, right? So there's these options of pricing, but is there an inf- implied like quality level associated with the pricing? Yeah, it's a learned skill. Yeah. The, be- the way I teach pricing, the way I have taught pricing all over the years, especially with new employees, when a load of furniture comes in from the truck or a large U-Haul comes in, I just give them a set of post-it notes and I say, tell me what you think you'd price this at. Because okay. I want to see where their baseline is. And to almost, I've had one employee, I, there's one employee that's going to break the, this is the exception to what I'm about to say, which is everybody that I've ever taught has priced sometimes at 50% higher than what we would actually price in the restore. Oh, wow. Okay. Because they think of the Walmart, Target, you know, Home Depot pricing. So we've actually, in most cases, had to bring people down. It's, you know, interestingly, and then, you know, over time, you just, you start to learn as you start to see multiple items. But what we did this year with our, what we call our focus categories is once I had all the sales data, cause we have really moved to a data driven business. I mean, there's a reason why there's, you know, books and seminars and all these things that you can, and we had never been applying traditional business principles to this restore business. Cause I think the thought before was, well, it's so different, but it, it's, it is and it isn't. It's, it's, it's still, still a retail. retail right? It's still a retail, yeah. you know. And you can take those principles, and if you apply them correctly, you can can increase your sales. I'll give you the end point of this: is we did a focus thing on furniture, and every store we did it like we gave them their own categories that they were pricing too low. And I'll explain in a second how I knew they were pricing too low. But and I said these are the categories you need to price higher. You're, the public is saying you can price higher. And in the first, now we're in set, month seven of this fiscal year, year over year, we have made $400,000 more in furniture sales selling wow. less units Wow! because we focused on pricing the items that we figured out through the reports. We're, we're that we get too through. Low. So, so how did you figure out that they were too low? Because you said the consumer was telling you, but what did the data tell you? So how I figured it out was that now I'm going to go back to the color discount policy because that's a key piece of this information is when you we sell something, it, it, the system knows if it sells a full price or 20 or 40 or 60% off. I, as I started analyzing the data, I realized that in order to maximize my sales, when I price it, I need something to sell at full price or 20% off to get the most money that I'm going to get for right. it. Right. And if it goes too often to 40 or 60% off, you know, if I price it too high, the other thing inside of that is if you price too high and it sits in your store sixty percent off, that's about eight weeks of time, six to eight weeks of time, and that floor space in the store is super valuable because you're getting so more valuable. stuff in. So, so valuable. you, you, you got to turn need stuff. 
turn it over. That's the key to this is, is turnover. So as I was looking at the data for some stores, if I noticed that items that in a certain subcategory, say coffee tables, that more than 90% of the time they were selling at full or 20%, I realized they were pricing too low. Because if you're selling too quickly, that exactly. means that people are like just snatching it right up. They come in so, and they say, wow, that's a great deal. deal the and, the, and, the, and I've had times like I've been walking out to the sales floor oh, with an item I price and they did grab it out of your hand, you know? <laughs> and then you always say to you, and if you're in a restore, I promise you the phrase you'll hear is, guess I priced it too low. Because the employees even know, man, I, I should have priced right. that higher because I could have got more value. So I went through all 39 categories for every store individually and I looked at where they were selling too fast at full or 20%. And I said, you need to raise these prices. And so then I looked at what they were averaging. I came up with a range that they should go to. And then, you know, I can give all the plans that I want. Our employees embrace this program. They right. stuck okay. to it. They have really like followed it. They're excited about it. We have like, you know, friendly email, you know, hey, you know, my store did, you know, Average unit retail, AUR is, you know, average unit retail, we're at like $60 on our furniture this week and, you know, and kind of like bragging a little bit, some friendly competition amongst the stores. So as I've been analyzing the data, I realized that the sweet spot for maximizing your sales, but also selling was we needed to be about 80 to 85% selling at full price or 20% off. That seems to be where the best okay. ranges. So we talk about this. We have many sales metrics. We have a whole scorecard <laughs> that we put out and it's for all the managers to see. And I, every week I update this with like the weekly numbers and we compare now this will be a total furniture AUR. So all pieces of furniture and what you average sold them at that week versus how fast you were selling them. So you want to be at this level, okay. but you want this percentage. And if you're, right, if that right. percentage goes up, we need you to raise your prices. If that percentage goes too far down, then you're actually too, the public's saying you're way too high. You're way too high. So, okay. Yeah. So we don't want to turn off. Listen, a restore is a thrift store and it is exactly. people come in because they want to get a deal. So we don't want to turn off and have people not come in, but we also don't want to devalue stuff and not make enough net sales that because ultimately we want to make as much money as we can yes, as much as you can because that goes back to the affiliate to build the houses that you mentioned so essentially what you've done is you've taken a pricing metric and then essentially cross categorize that with time to determine that sweet spot and so you yep. were able to do that looking at the data within thrift cart it's exactly how i did it exactly and it, and it was, how i did it and just for listener it was four hundred thousand dollars selling less items year over year yep. Wow, yeah, we sold about, yeah, I, I don't know the metric of how many less items. I know it's not like five less right, items. Right. I mean, it's a significant number, but we're fine with that because, you know, when we see the flip side, which is the 400,000 extra dollars, you know, that's really what we're obviously trying to, you know, make them better net sales. And this, like I mentioned it a little bit earlier, the key part of this for me personally is I always tell that when I train, I don't sweat the small stuff. Right. You're going to get a ton of all of these little tchotchke, whatever. We actually have 101 items in our store that we standard price. So oh, wow. okay. now any, so say for example, we have like, for example, vases, vases are a dollar. Now, it okay. doesn't matter size, shape, color, every, anything. Dollar. It's a dollar. 
Interesting. But, but if the crystal vase comes in that we know has higher value, the employee, all of our signs say, unless, you know, it's standard price unless otherwise marked. So if we get the really nice vase in, sure, put $20 on it, of course. Okay. You know, you don't want to sell that item for a dollar. Right, exactly. But we want, we don't want our, we, what we're trying to teach our employees is, yes, this we value stuff. We don't want it to go to landfill. We want to sell it in our store. But where are you going to make your money and where you need to spend your time? Because we're skeleton crewed in our stores. You know, we don't have the luxury right, of right. having five, 10 employees. You know, most of our stores have four employees oh, wow. okay. and that includes the store manager and assistant manager and two associates. That's it. Wow. You know? Okay. Yeah. Really skeleton crew. Yeah. So you guys don't have the luxury of being extremely detailed and granular with the pricing. So no. thus the over hundred items at our standard price. Okay. Yep. Sounds and with that way, you can just go to the floor. Sure. They'll sort through it real quick. And if they find the nice item, put it off to the side, we'll check it later. And you know, it's, it really helps people to understand, like we are, Emily's good phrase is water over a rock. She wants us to just keep saying the same stuff. We don't need to have the flavor of the month strategy, you know, because right. then it confuses everyone. We have these six revenue drivers this year. That's all we talk about. We don't bring up anything new and everybody knows this is what we're, and every time I go, I do store visits and we go in, the first thing I talk about is how's the six categories going for you? How's you your know? top six? Yeah, exactly. That's and a, man, that's such sage advice right there because what I see so often in restores is the opposite of what you guys are doing. They're trying to figure out price every single thing rather than looking at the data. What is the data telling me? Okay, this is what's driving our revenue. Let's focus on this. Everything else, standardize it. You know, so that's a fantastic business model. And would you say that's been one of the biggest catalysts to your guys' success? Once we got everyone to buy in on the standard pricing, that was a, that was a tough sell. It, it right, was tough. Right. And there's, you know, people, you know, I have a store that, so we get a lot of like electrical sockets and, you know, the light switches and all these different mm -hmm. things. And, you know, he's got a big space in the store that's that has like a huge bin of these things. And, you know, and I keep saying we need to, you know, reduce that size footprint in your store so we can put the more valuable stuff. Well, people buy them. Yeah. But when I look at the data, you're making $50 a month <laughs> off of this huge space. And I want that space to make me $1,000 a month, you know, not 50. So we can use the data too to help us understand how to allocate our square footage for, you know, when we section off our store for right. the different and, names that we and sell. That's another key thing that I've seen that you guys are so successful at. And there's a, a report in thrift cart. So it's essentially sales by square foot. Now yeah. you have to go in and allocate what you have per square footage, but that right there to your point, couple that with, you know, your pricing strategy and your turns. That is really how I imagine you guys maximize the footage yep. that you have, the inventory that you have to drive your revenue, you know, cause to your point, you know, if I can sell furniture, in that space, I would much rather do that as opposed to selling, you know, light sockets. So knowledge is power, right? I, you know, in a previous life, I worked in food manufacturing as a quality insurance manager. But it's so funny how I never even worked retail until I started with the restores. And that was like about seven years ago now. But the principles are the same, you know, and operations are the same. And really, all I'm doing is just simply taking the data that is generated in my store and I'm looking at it and then I'm literally making the decisions and da my data driven decision making a hundred percent. 
I can't even begin to tell you, like before when I first started this and we did, weren't doing that, we'd all be like, what do we do? I mean, it kind of felt almost, you know, kind of weird. And now that we kind of have a set plan, you know, and people are buying in right now, my office, I'm in my office and I'm in Durham. I live in Durham and uh, the assistant manager here is, he is great because he's got all these like graphs on the board. He's tracking his sales and we want that. We want to have that engagement with our that, employees. That visibility, and really that the, engagement yes. to, to know mm-hmm. where you're standing, right? You, yep, exactly. I think the old saying is like, you don't know if you're winning if you don't keep score, right? So I I love that. So one of the, and I think this is a nice segue because I think what Wake does and the triangle does, I think stands to reason that almost all restores should is there's this perception that I see that because it's thrift, that the principles of retail don't apply. And I think Wake is the poster child for saying that's not true. You need to make data-driven decisions and the proof is in the revenue that you guys generate. So Wake does a fantastic job. I want to segue, though, into where do you see, I mean, so restores are part of overall thrift, but where do you see thrift, you know, and taken in the context of where do you see it going in the future? How do you see your business model changing? And what are some of the things that Wake County and the Triangle is looking to do? So, you know, while we're the biggest, you know, we have the most stores or whatever, there's some things that other, there's some other restore chains out there that are doing that we want to now start to model. And the name of the game is going to be e-commerce. That is where the next phase of this. And there's a restore chain out in LA that is generating closer to like a million dollars a year in an e-commerce kind of world. Oh, wow. So that is, yeah. And that, you know, that's significant. You know, that's basically a whole, like our, one of our stores on an average budget is between six and 800,000 for net sales. So, you know, a million dollars in e-commerce is, you know, that's let's huge. go find I mean, that. Okay. You know, but you know, given our business model, it's a little tricky to try to set it up. I'm actually working with Thriftcart right now. We're starting our first baby steps into figuring out how we're going to make this happen for us. But we know that online shopping is different and that there's certain items like collectibles especially and certain items that come in the store that we cannot get the right value for inside the store it's just impossible in a brick and mortar right yeah in a brick and mortar it's just there's certain things that come in i've a couple of years ago, I got in all these sports memorabilia, collectible, like little figurines. And I went online oh, and they okay. were, you know, selling for 15, 20, 30 bucks a pop. And by the end of the day, I maybe got $2 a piece for them because my reseller, you know, nobody was buying them. They want to, they want to buy them to resell them themselves, you know? Well, and you don't normally think of those kind of items and associate it with a restore, right? But you guys still get them. My joke I always make is if mankind has made an item on this earth, <laughs> it has come into the restore. It's going to end up in a restore. <laughs> I have seen every, I'm not shocked anymore. I used to be like, why are they donating this? And now it's just like, if it's in somebody's house. There's a good chance it's going to end up there. Yeah, it's it's kind of, I mean, I've seen comic books. I mean, just everything. So, but then the flip side of that is, is okay, then how do we sell? You know, we talked earlier a little bit ago about how we're maximizing our furniture. We're at that sweet spot. We're not going to, you know, that we're just going to keep going with that track, but that's probably mostly a done project because our public has now said, this is what we're willing to pay for these items. And so that's great. So now what's going to be our next way to generate some more revenue? And I really, you know, we have actually two ways. One of the things we did, which it's very interesting to me that how successful it's kind of been is we call it restore treasures. So we have some, we have gone out with our volunteer group and found 
people in our community who are, have more expertise about antiques and you know wall art and different things. And they okay. actually come into our stores and they'll walk around and they'll find items that we're selling for 10 or 15 bucks. And they'll go, you need to pull this back and put like $100 on it because it's actually that much more valuable. And so, so it's we, almost like a, like antique roadshow. Yeah. <laughs> it, you, have, you have experts coming into the, that's fascinating. And that makes me, it jogs my memory. I was in a store in Asheville, very similar mm -hmm. thing. And I was just walking through, they were showing me their operation, how they do production. Mm -hmm. And I saw over to the side, I saw an antique, you know, mid-century modern Coca-Cola cooler. Sure. And they yeah. had a sticker on it for $5. And I grabbed the matter. I'm like, absolutely not. That's worth at least a couple hundred bucks. Put that on eBay. I think that's kind of what you're saying is because yeah. a restore seems to be this collection point for all things using those experts. So you have them just come through the store pull things down, like you could get a lot more for this than what you're pricing it. And that's where yep. you're thinking e-commerce will come in. Right. So I think this is like the restart treasure part is maybe a prelude to ultimately identifying what items we're going to sell better online. You know, when we go to the e-commerce, you know, when you hire in a restore, I mean, you know, the, we actually had to raise our wages because you know, we want to make sure that we have good, stable, you know, staffs in our stores. Of right, course, like any right. business will say like, that's a good key to success. But, um, you know, nobody's an expert in antiques or art typically, you know, and, you know, I've seen art pieces that I thought were 25 bucks. And then the restore treasure person would be like, forget the artwork. The frame alone is worth $150 oh, on wow. this thing, you know? <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you have to start looking at it from those eyes too, that it's not about the print or whatever's inside of it. Sometimes it's about the frame. And then the different furniture pieces. So we have identified, we actually have a little card called Resource Treasures. We actually, so when we ask for the more money, we don't just put $200 on something. We actually say, the reason why we're doing this is because this is from the 19th century, oh, you know, in okay. England. Right, yeah. so, 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 justification. so you justify and educate, you know, your customer yes. base. So they're not just like, wait, why yeah, are they doing are, this? are they crazy? Yeah, <laughs> I've had enough people. Okay. That makes that. sense. <laughs> but I think this is a, that's a good prelude to when we start to do online selling because, you know, I might, my goal in the beginning is to start small and grow. Of course, that's, you know, how you're going to do it. But, you know, what is it that we're going to sell? Or, you know, what's going to sell well on a, a Facebook marketplace or an Instagram versus the eBay? Because eBay is uh, a lot of people are going there for the collectible items. And we do get those right. in our stores. I mean, it's not all the time, but I mean, it's enough that there's value to try it out. And I think it's like any startup, you're going to have to invest some money, you know, to try to get it going, find the right people to run it, you know, and there's, and there's a lot of, and not to get, I don't want to get too technical here, but there's a lot that goes into just setting that up inside of a restart environment, because in most cases, we're only going to have one of the thing to sell, you know, this is not like a traditional, when you right. go online and you want to buy whatever, well, they just go to the warehouse and there's 50 of them on a shelf and they, and they, they pull have a one whole bunch of inventory. It's a one-off unique item. Uh, yeah. Yes. One -off. So that's the tricky part of understanding like how we're going to identify what's going to sell well. And I think I'll end up using, I mean, my goal eventually will be to see how that kind of sells and then we'll start doing the same thing we do in our stores to use our data-driven analysis to figure out, oh, you really need to start targeting this area better because this sells well. Let's stop selling this stuff online because it's really not making us any money right. and kind of go from there. Using the metrics so that the future, what I'm hearing you say is, you know, e-commerce, yep. you know, and just because the changing demographic and, you know, for better or worse, you know, COVID changed a lot of buying habits and a lot of buying mm -hmm. preferences. You know, so I think it's what you're saying is, you know, the restore traditionally a brick and mortar, but to continue your guys' growth and to continue, honestly, your mission, right, is yeah. we got to start to branch into e-commerce. So, and yeah, that's something that Thrift Card is built for, and we're going to be helping yep. you guys get there. So I'm excited for, for that opportunity. So 
you've been so gracious with your time. I wanted to give you the opportunity just to kind of wrap things up, you know, any sage advice, anything you would say to, you know, not only other restorers that are listening to this, but just people in general with thrift and yeah, just give them some advice, how to maximize their business like you guys have. I'm going to go back to kind of what we've been talking about all along, you know, really, if you're going to use Thriftcart, you know, first and foremost, have a discount policy. I think that is really, we didn't really have a coherent one a few years ago, and we kind of changed to a different model. And it's uh, something that has really driven some of our sales. I mean, we have customers like on the first day of the month and the 15th day of the month, the sidewalk, you know, right when you're going to open the store, there's like sometimes 15, 20 people waiting because they've seen like that piece product. a week ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're waiting to come in and hoping, you know, it's a gamble because if they walk away and didn't buy it and they come back because they know it's going to be 20% cheaper when they come back on this certain day you know, then if it's there, then, you know, they get, got it for cheaper. Well, you, and if you, not, you've just created on. demand. I mean, you, sure. you've already set that precedence in their minds. Like, Hey, on these dates, I'm going to come in and Hey, hopefully that item I saw, like now it's yep. 20% off. So you just by having a discount then created consumer, I mean, which is fantastic. And it drives foot traffic. I'm sure. Although sometimes I played the game with customers where I'll say like, if there's, I'm with them and they're kind of going, well, should I, maybe I'll wait and come back to get it cheaper. You know, I know it's going to be discounting in a few days and I'll be like, but don't you want to give us the money and help us build more houses in our community? <laughs> so there, there you I'll, go. <laughs> I'll say that, like, you know, the money. You, and, you, you pull know, on the heartstrings a little bit. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. If anybody that ever watches this from the restore, they'll understand what I'm about to say is so funny how so many of our customers don't understand how the restore works in the habitat world they don't know like they know that we're a habitat restore but they don't understand what our role is and i've had countless conversations with people just because say, they'll say where does the money go and i'm like and I, in my head i think it's kind of you know you, you would know kinda it obvious. but i've had to tell people over and over again all the money that we make goes to build houses like this like it's literally like we give all of our profit to that so you know when you said wrap it up i you know it's like have a discount policy really the key is to make sure that how you're pricing, if you have multiple stores, standardize that, standardize your register interface, do standard pricing on some of that small stuff. That changed our whole world. I mean, we had some of it here and there, but I mean, we really went all in and you know identified a hundred items that we standard priced that really made a difference for us as well. And by the way, we're still, a lot of that stuff is either home goods or tools and hardware. I've been watching, you know, I watch all the data. We have not lost any money. If anything, we've made more money by going to standard pricing, okay. you know, interestingly enough. And then, you know, just once you get those systems in place, you know, there's a lot of nice reports inside of Thriftcart. I <laughs> I probably run 50 Thriftcart reports a day, you know. Um, but there's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I literally, yeah, I live our, my whole our, life our inside of it. tell when TJ's in running a report. <laughs> <laughs> I've had this, a couple of times I've had to not run certain reports because I didn't want to like make our registers run slower <laughs> or something. Yeah. But the point is, is there's some, a lot of good data there. You have to be disciplined and you have to, you know, have, come up with your plan and stick to it. You know, for anybody that's watching, I know every so often Kyle will ha have me talk to someone more than happy to share. I mean, if you have a great idea that you're doing your restore that works for you, I will totally steal it and best practices and all that. But the flip side is we're more than happy to have you come visit us or come, you know, come and I can, I've done some screen sharing with a couple of the restores where I'll, you know, I'll kind of show them our reports or our metrics or how we use the system and it's working for us. You know, it's the results are there, you know, yep, we've yep. seen the growth this year and, and we expect nothing more, but just to continue that. So.
Well, that's fantastic. So I honestly, I, wrapping it up here, TJ, I just want to thank you. That was a wealth of knowledge. That was a great conversation <laughs> for everybody listening. Take TJ up on his offer. I mean, the man knows his stuff. He knows how to run a restore. And the principles here apply not only to restores, but all thrift in general. So with that said, TJ, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you for being for part of the, uh, the Thrifty Business Podcast. And we appreciate no. your business here at Thriftcart. Yeah. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to Thrifty Business. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get podcasts. Leave a rating or review to let us know what you think. For more interviews with business owners, visit thriftcart.com interviews, where you'll find transcripts, show notes, and videos for all of our episodes.